Hello again, it's Hannah with Rights and Relationships. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the abortion pill. So first I want to clarify, and I'll probably reiterate this throughout, um, I'm talking about the abortion pill, which is not emergency contraception, it's not plan B. Plan B is for preventing a pregnancy if there's been some sort of accident, if you've forgotten your birth control. Um, the abortion pill is for people who are already pregnant, um, and typically it can be used up to about 10 or 12 weeks. So I'm going to start a little bit with some history of medical abortion and then I'll kind of go into the science and what it actually does um, and how it's actually used and then I'll talk about a couple of misconceptions, myths. So we know that abortion is nothing new. Um, abortion has been happening since as long as people could get pregnant. But that also includes medical abortion, um, whether it be pills, um, typically medicine was different types of herbs. So it's definitely not new. Um, there was a recent article on Forbes.com um, about an archaeological dig in New York um, that actually found an empty pill bottle from the 19th century. And it was called Sir James Clark's Female Pills. This was a type of pill to induce abortions or miscarriages. You know, before a lot of religious restrictions or political restrictions, these pills were sold by mail in about the mid-1800s. Um, and a lot of people who sought abortions in the 1700s, 1800s, um, they were a lot of times married women, and they saw birth control or abortion as part of family planning, um, and they, I think they would be correct. And it's, it's kind of interesting, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but during the 19th century, there was a belief that the fetus was not a separate entity before what's called the quickening, um, which is actually where you can feel the fetus move. A lot of people believe that a pregnancy didn't really exist or wasn't a complete fact until they felt the quickening. Um, and a lot of them didn't even feel like it was a child or baby until it was born alive. People still died in childbirth pretty frequently. There weren't any tests to see if 
their child would be born with abnormalities or deformities or not fully formed to the point where it wouldn't even survive. I was actually kind of surprised to learn that the abortion pill we have now has actually been around since about the 70s. Misoprostol tablets were developed in the United States in 1973, and they were typically used for treating ulcers. And then in the 1980s, French researchers realized that it could be used for abortion and it was more successful if they um, developed another pill to go along with it called mifepristone. So medicated abortion and these pills have been legalized in France since 1988. And then in the years after, China, Great Britain, Sweden, they all kind of followed suit. So of course the United States is much further behind than a lot of places. So around 2000, the US and the FDA finally approved this pill. Initially, there were even more restrictions around it. It was recommended that it only be taken up to seven weeks and it required three clinic visits, one for the first pill, a second visit for the following pills, and a third visit for a follow-up appointment. Um, And the FDA still mandates that the medication be prescribed by a healthcare provider. And again, very recently, 2016, they slightly loosen those restrictions. They recommend it be taken up to about 10 weeks, and there's one visit to get the mifepristone, and then you can take the misoprostol at home, and then you have a follow-up appointment about one to two weeks after, just to make sure it actually was successful, there's no signs of infection, things like that. What these pills actually do, and again, the abortion pill is kind of a misnomer. It is actually a sequence of pills, and the first is mifepristone, and that's the one that blocks progesterone, which is the hormone that builds up during pregnancy. And so, by blocking that, it helps to break down the uterine lining, Um, it detaches the implanted embryo from the uterine wall. Um, it It typically takes about 24 hours, maybe a little bit more. But again, basically, it's like bringing on your period. And then... You take four misoprostol tablets, 
which is the pill that was developed um, to treat ulcers. Um, so it actually is what expels the detached embryo. It kind of brings on the cramps, some nausea. Um, together, these pills are about 93% effective. Of course, the earlier you take them, the more effective they will be. And of course, thanks to stigma and our lovely government, there are a lot of states that have placed restrictions on this procedure. Like I said, the first pill does have to be given by some sort of physician. Currently, 19 states require the physician to be there physically uh, to supervise the procedure, which I don't think is necessary, and it kind of contradicts the idea of self-managed abortion. Sometimes people decide on medical abortion because they're more comfortable doing it privately. They feel like it's a little bit more natural than a surgical abortion. So if you're able to obtain the first pill along with the second set of the four pills, typically it's through a clinic or a doctor. Of course, some people don't have that option. So, there has been some increase in online searches for abortion pills, free abortion pills, do-it-yourself abortions, and it's been found that the second pill, the misoprostol, can be taken. Um, it's a much higher dosage. It's usually about 12 pills but it can be taken in order to terminate a pregnancy. Doing it that way is only about 85% effective. Those pills are obtained through unauthorized websites or sellers. I believe there was an article on rewire.com about how they'll provide the pills, but oftentimes there's no instructions on how to take them. Again, typically these symptoms present like a miscarriage would. Um, there's nausea, cramping, maybe some vomiting, some heavy bleeding. But some of the more severe side effects that can occur that should warrant medical attention are really, really heavy bleeding that lasts for like more than two hours. If you get a fever, if there's some really severe pain. So it's important to recognize what symptoms are normal and what's not for your own safety but also 
if they are more severe, you can go to the doctor, the hospital, and tell them that you are experiencing miscarriage. And again, that's especially important if someone has obtained these pills, quote-unquote, illegally. Because there have been women arrested and jailed for ending their own pregnancies. And so, if you need to seek help and you obtain these pills through an unauthorized seller, if you're in an unsafe situation where maybe your partner or parents um, have to escort you and you're not comfortable or feel unsafe, that's perfectly okay. The symptoms present just like a miscarriage. There's no test, um, either in blood or urine, for these pills. And sometimes people obtain these pills because they're in unsafe situations, they're in abusive situations, they're unable to go to a clinic. So it's like I've always said, you do what's best for you, um, you do what you feel most comfortable with, and you do what you need to to keep yourself safe. And so, like I said, occasionally, depending on where you get these pills, there's no instructions that come with them. So, the organization Women Help Women has launched a informational website called abortionpillinfo.com. Um, totally confidential. It's some one-on-one -on -one counseling on how to use the pill, the different symptoms, the um, potential risks. And so I think that's really awesome. It's in dozens of different countries. If you're not sure it's right for you, that information's out there for you too. But a lot of times it's for people who need those instructions that didn't actually come with the packet of pills. And I've talked about how people can always get to clinics. They're not always comfortable in clinics. And this might be a better option for them if they'd rather do it at home, if they'd rather have a friend or family member or partner actually present. Obviously, keeping clinics open is incredibly important. Sometimes they are people's only resource, but just as important is allowing people to manage their health in ways that they're capable of, comfortable with. So if people are more comfortable outside of a medical setting, then that's perfectly fine and we should give them the resources to do so. So I'm really glad that something like abortionpillinfo.com exists. And now I'm going to get into some of the myths surrounding this. Uh, like I mentioned at the very beginning, this is not the same as Plan B. There are people who have tried to take Plan B after finding out they're pregnant and it just doesn't work. Plan B is to prevent a pregnancy. It prevents ovulation from happening, so there's no egg there to fertilize. 
and the abortion pills are actually used to terminate a pregnancy. Um, there's also this really, really terrible idea that abortions can be reversed. And I, I have heard this before, even with surgical abortions, but Mr. George Delgado actually published a research paper on it, specifically pertaining to abortion pills, and he had claimed that you can interrupt medical abortion by overloading the body with progesterone after the first pill. So after the mifepristone, if for some reason you change your mind, then you can go get a bunch of hormone shots um, that'll up your progesterone. And while that first pill is intended to block progesterone, the abortion isn't completed until you do the second set of pills. So saying you're reversing abortion, it's a little bit of a stretch, in my opinion. Um, if you do happen to change your mind after the first pill, it's recommended that you just don't go on to step two. Like I said, that first pill blocks the hormone, but if you're pregnant, your body makes a lot of that hormone and that medication will wear off and your body will continue making more. So it's not necessarily a good idea to have shots of progesterone overloaded into your body that can cause a lot of especially heart problems but thankfully while this is still out there the anti-choicers have clung to this and will continue to spread this mentality this paper that was published was just this summer pulled from the journal. It was withdrawn from the journal it was published in. One, because there's not a lot of scientific evidence behind it. And two, the actually, the main concern of the journal itself was that the ethics board didn't approve this experiment to be done on human subjects. So there were a lot of ethical concerns. It's also believed that um, those within the experiment were not given informed consent. Um, so they had no idea that they were part of an experiment or taking an experimental drug, um, which they probably didn't understand the risks associated with it. And of course, he spread this 
message through crisis pregnancy centers, which I'll get into in a later episode, but the first and probably most important thing to know about CPCs is that there's no physicians on staff. They're just full of misinformation, they're full of propaganda, they're, they're just bad. And of course, our lovely Supreme Court has also just recently decided that they can continue with these lies because free speech. Which, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't support free speech, I very much do. I suppose that they do have a right to free speech, they have a right to their opinions and beliefs, but I also find it really interesting that because of this misinformation and this propaganda that has arisen, actual clinics and abortion doctors are required to tell their patients that abortion causes breast cancer, abortion causes infertility, um, abortion can be reversed, and there's absolutely no truth to those statements. So, while I understand the court's decision to support and enable free speech, seems very contradictory to me that they also legally require people to say certain things, even if they're untrue. I mean, if the court can't really stop you from your right to free speech, I don't know why they should be allowed to legally require that you also have to say something. Does that make sense? I mean, that just, that doesn't seem right to me. If free speech is free speech, then why, why force people to say something that isn't part of their own ideas and beliefs, you know? I don't know, food for thought. Also... The idea that abortion can be reversed, that people change their minds midway through, is, again, just another sort of anti-choice tactic where it tells people that you've made the wrong decision or you're not actually capable of making this decision. I follow a OBGYN and abortion doctor out of Utah. Her name is Dr. Leah Torres. Um, she's on Twitter all the time. I highly recommend following her. She's super awesome. She has recently started doing some videos on YouTube. Just like within the last month, she did a live. She went live on YouTube. So I got to actually interact with her, ask her some questions. So that was super cool. And you know, I had been researching this, so my questions were mostly about the abortion pill, and 
the guy who published this paper when he was criticized he said something like something like he was offering a second choice or a second chance and that the pro-choice people aren't actually all that much about choice because it's their choice if they want to reverse their abortion. And so I asked her about that and her thoughts on that and she made a really, really excellent point that if someone decides midway through an abortion process that this isn't what they want, the doctor has not done their job. Um, as with any medical procedure, the patient should be 100% sure that they want to go through with it, that they understand the risks and the outcomes. If they don't seem sure, then the doctor's not going to perform that procedure. <laughs> and I know anti-choice people will probably never believe this, but yes, abortion doctors do in fact turn people away. Especially if there's evidence that they're being coerced or forced into an abortion, or they feel that this person doesn't really know what they want yet. And so, like any good doctor should, they give them all their options, and they let them come to a decision on their own when they're ready to. I think it was Dr. Willie Parker that said something along the lines of regret really comes from being unsure of your decision. If you're not sure that this is what you want, then don't do it yet. Or take some time to do a little bit more research. Um, keep talking to your doctor or a therapist or a friend or a family member. And I think that's part of why I feel like sharing our stories is so critical. Because hearing other people's experiences and hearing their feelings about those experiences help us put ours in perspective. They kind of help us understand our feelings a little better and they help us realize that there are all sorts of feelings that, that come with a decision like this and None of those feelings are wrong. It's just a matter of self-awareness, understanding yourself, your situation, your capabilities, and what's ultimately best for you. I got this information from a couple of different articles, like I mentioned, Forbes.com, 
Um, there's an article called The Science Behind the Abortion Pill on smithsonianmag.com and reproaction.org had a webinar this summer about the abortion pill reversal and it was really cool. They have webinars on all sorts of different subjects. They have a ton of different articles and blog posts. So please check those out along with abortionpillinfo.com which was set up by the organization Women Help Women. Again, very, very good resource. While, of course, there's a lot of misinformation about abortion and the abortion pills, there is a lot of good information out there as well. So hopefully you can look into that. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. Um, I don't know that I've mentioned my email on here before. It's rrprochoicepodcast at gmail.com. I am happy to answer any questions, take any comments, constructive criticisms. I would love to hear your stories if you're willing to share those. Um, be it about abortion, birth, pregnancy, um, parenting, infertility, if you're willing to share those. Um, if you're willing to let me share those, let me know. Of course, that can be totally anonymous as well. But like I said, I think sharing our stories is one of the most powerful tools that we have. Um, and I'd like to do more of that for you guys. So, don't be afraid to reach out, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.